Esther chapter 4, Esther chapter 4, and today's message I've titled it, For Such a Time as This. It wasn't too tough to title it, being that that's one of the main verses as to how we know the book of Esther. For such a time as this. You know, time is so important. And time cannot be recuperated. Time can easily be wasted. Time can be invested. We can make good use of time, but we can also make bad use of time as well. One of the things that we know that Esther did with the time or in the times that she lived, was step out in faith. And we look around at the times that we're living in, it is more apparent now today than ever that God is calling me, He's calling you, He's calling all of us as a church, as a Christian society, to step out for such a time as this. I want you to understand that even through the book of Esther, as we learn Esther's life, and we learn the life of Mordecai and King Ahasuerus, that they are not the hero in the story. That God is the hero in every story. And if you need to write that down, write that down because I want you to remember that God is the hero. Christ is the hero in every story. When we read this book, we start to understand and automatically know that even in the entire book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned. And I think that the Holy Spirit so purposely did that so that we can realize that even when His name is not written, it doesn't mean that He's not in control. And sometimes we think in our several events in our lives that, that we don't see the name of God listed, but it doesn't mean that He's not in control. He's orchestrating everything. He's so sovereign. He's all-powerful. Do you know that? Sovereign? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Right? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at one time, at the same time. All-powerful, omnipresent, and all-knowing. And when you know that about God, you see that in the life of Esther, He was all-powerful, He was omnipresent, and He was all-knowing. And today, maybe you need to be reminded of that in your situation, in your life. God is all-powerful. God is all-present. He's everywhere. And God is all-knowing. And that reminds you to understand that who is really in charge. Because here in this chapter 4, we see that Esther demonstrates faith and demonstrates courage. And that she steps out in faith. And she stands in the gap for the nation of Israel. Maybe today God's calling you to stand in the gap, right? We've been talking a lot about that recently. What does it mean to stand in the gap? What does standing in the gap look like? Well, standing in the gap, number one, looks like obedience. I've been asked that many times, well, Art, you talk about standing in the gap. What exactly does that look like? Number one, standing in the gap means obedience to God. And number two, standing in the gap means stepping out in faith. That's what it means to stand in the gap. Number one, I want to be obedient. Number two, I want to step out in faith. That is standing in the gap. But we see here that the significant impact that one person, Esther, has as she sets the pace as she stands in the gap, number two, and as she changes her time. Today, in your workplace and wherever God has you, it's time for you to set the pace. Don't let anyone set the pace for you. Too many times the church lets the world set the pace for what you are to live by. And then, and then we automatically start to now compromise and conform to the time in which everyone else is living in. 
We're not called to conform to the time. We're called to change the time with a godly and gospel perspective. Right? So she sets the pace. She stands in the gap. She then now changes her time because she believed that God called her for this hour. And maybe God called you for this hour too. He wants to use you. And think about how tragic it is if that no one would be able to stand in the hour here where Esther is about to stand. How critical would it be that no one stands in the gap when there's a need? How critical it would be. You think about Joseph, about Daniel, about Moses, about Abraham, about Nehemiah, about Esther. What do they all have in common? That God used them because they were willing to step out. God always used these men and women in the Bible because they were willing to step out. And, and here we learn, what, what do you want, what do you need to do if you want to see things start to change? So we see now in chapter 4, all the way up to chapter 4 now, that Hanan has now been elected or promoted as a king, Ahasuerus official. And as he has been promoted, he now wants to come after and destroy all the Jewish nation because one man, Mordecai, decided that he was not going to, he decided he was not going to bow the knee and show fear or respect to a man that was a longtime enemy of the nation of Israel. And because of that, now this man, Haman, what he does is he goes and gets the king's authority to go and, and now kill all the Jewish nation, all the Jewish people. And he has set a day of 12 months and ahead to be able to do this act. But now during this time, Mordecai, as he finds this out, he does something about it. You see, it's, it's not only important that we know what's taking place, it's also important that we do something about it. And I think that's what the book of Esther teaches us. That yes, God is in control, and as He's moving us from one place to another, He does that because He wants to receive the glory, but also because He wants to use your life. Here in Esther chapter 4, verse 1, it reads this, When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes. What did he find out? He found out that the king, he found out that Haman, he found out now that there was a decree written that in 12 months all the Jewish nation were going to be persecuted and killed. So when he finds this out, when he learns this, it happened that he tore his clothes. He was showing signs of brokenness and of mourning here in verse 1 of chapter 4. He put on sackcloth and ashes and he went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. And he went as far as the front of the king's gate for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was a great mourning among the Jews and with fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you, Father. Because as there is a critical condition here towards the nation of Israel to the Jews, Lord, there is also a critical condition in our time today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as Christians, we would seek out those opportunities, Lord, where we can have a voice of righteousness. Lord, and that we would not be silenced, Lord, by this world, by this culture. That we would not let the culture set the pace for the Christians, Lord. That we would not be influenced, Lord, by the time, Lord, but that we would change the time, Lord, through your word. We pray, Lord, that we would set the pace, that we would stand in the gap, Lord. Lord, and that we would be obedient to step out in faith. In Jesus' name, together we said, Amen. See, it's important what happens here because we see that Mordecai learned. He starts to find out. 
in regard to this plan, this evil plan that the king had now authorized to kill all the nation of Israel. And what does he do? He shows signs of brokenness. He shows signs of mourning. And there's a loud and a bitter cry in public. These are visible signs of mourning. He doesn't hide it. He goes and he starts to mourn. He tires his clothes. And as he's going now, he goes straight to the place where the king lives. But it's interesting enough that in verse 2, you saw that he goes as far as he possibly can before he knows that his life is in danger. You see, you cannot enter the king's palace or his courts dressed in sackcloth and ashes. You cannot even enter into the king's presence without him inviting you or you being called. But one of the interesting things that you see here in verse 2, and I want you to pay attention to this, is because he goes as far as he can. As far as the front of the king's gate. That is as far as he possibly can. See, when you start to learn that you are called for such a time as this, even Mordecai. You start to learn and really grasp as to what it means to go as far as you possibly can when it comes to interceding for people. Sometimes we get so relaxed, so comfortable, and we don't go as far as we possibly can for the sake of the lost, for the sake of those that are in a critical condition. Because we've maybe grown up in a culture where it's all about self, but this man right here is going as far as he can for the sake of the people. That's a servant right there. As far as he can for the sake of the people. And in verse 3, as he was clothed in sackcloth or in clothes of mourning and clothes of fasting, it says, And in every province where the king's commanded decree arrived, where that letter arrived saying that in 12 months they were going to come after the Jews, there was a great mourning among the Jews. The Jews started to mourn and to cry with fasting here. With fasting. It's interesting that the word prayer is not mentioned in the book. The word of God is not mentioned in the book. But the word fasting is mentioned in the book. What does this tell us? How important it is that this, these people were actually praying. They were fasting. They did believe in the God of Yahweh. And they were turning to Him, right? Because every time you see fasting in the Bible, it's always correlated or tied closely to prayer. It's always tied closely to prayer. And it shows us here what is the best tool that me and you can use in the times that are most critical in our lives. You know what we like to do when we are in critical condition? We like to always call someone and let them know what's going on. We like to maybe share it with other people. We like to maybe complain about it. But here you see the nation, the Jewish people, what do they go? They go to fasting in verse 3. Because they wanted God to intervene in the time of a severe crisis. And, and it's so important. I'm so excited that our church is going to take a week of fasting again this year. As we've done it in the beginning of the year. Because fasting is what the nation of Israel needed. And fasting is what our church needs as well. It's been said before, all that is required. All that is required for evil to triumph. All that it is required for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. You understand why the, the culture is so evil? Because sometimes the Christians, men and women, do nothing. All that's required for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. God hasn't called you for such a time as this so that you can sit back and do nothing. God's called you for such a time as this so that you can step out to that place 
so that you can step in to that calling, so that you can step up to change the times of where you're at. Not to play it safe. And in verse 4, let's read what it says. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. She found out what was taking place, her being Jewish, Esther. And then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept it. He said, I'm not going to accept that temporary fix. She sent him now clothes so that he would be fixed. And he said, I don't want anything to do with that clothes. I'm deeply distressed. I don't want that temporary fix. I came here with a purpose and with a calling. And verse 5 tells us, Then Esther called Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her. And she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. You see Esther's character here? And, and I want you to underline that in verse 5 because you see the leadership qualities that every leader must possess. What did she do? She sent someone to learn. Number one, she was interested in learning. The reason why a lot of times we don't grow as leaders is because we're not interested in learning. We're okay with living in, 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 in a place of being naive or ignorant when it comes to the need. Esther was not that person. She said, I, I'm interested in learning what and why. If somebody asked you what and why are the needs around you, would you be able to give an answer to that? See, this is, this is the, uh, a leadership mentality here. The what and the why. She wanted to know the what and she wanted to know the why. And it's, and it's so important that we as Christians are interested in knowing the what and in the why of what's taking place in our time. Because we're never going to be able to meet that need until we know that. And think about what happens here after in verse 6. It said, So Hatak went out to Mordecai, the city square that was in the front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. Now he's starting to, he's starting to tell now for Esther the entire plan of what's taking place that the king now was sold because of money he was bribed into now signing this decree. And he also gave him a copy of the written decree for the destruction which was given at Shushan that he might show it to Esther and explain to her that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before her people. Now, what, did, what is Mordecai wanting to do here? He's saying, look, this is the document. I'm not kidding. This is the truth. The king has said that he's going to kill all the Jewish people. I'm giving you this for the purpose that you would go and intercede and to make supplication and plead before him for her people. See, and, and again, we're learning here about Esther. We're learning about her character. What is she interested in? What is, what is she going to be interested in doing here? Interceding for her people. And what does Mordecai want? He wants to inform her. Inform her about going to the king and in verse 8, to deliver, to ask for deliverance, to ask for supplication, to intercede for the people. And this is a very risky thing that he's asking her to do. This is a very risky thing. This is not something that's comfortable because you can't just simply come to the king's presence without being invited. In verse 9, it tells us, So Hatak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a command for Mordecai. So she receives a message. And in verse 8 and 9, 9 and 10, you start to see what was her reaction. And Esther's reaction wasn't, yes, let me go in. The first time she found out, let me go to the king. Let me intercede for the people. Let me plead. Let me ask for a gracious response from the king. No. 
she knew the risk that was involved here. She knew that it would involve her own life. She said, I, I can't just you know, go and ask for deliverance and supplication and, and ask for the deliverance of these people because she now sent a response. And her first response was a response that was filled with fear. And I tell you, when you get an opportunity to step out in faith, when God's called you to rise to the occasion, some of your first responses, some of our first reactions are going to be filled with fear. Because we know that in and of ourselves, we cannot meet that need. But that's okay. Because Esther's going to find out right now that it's not about her meeting the need. It's about God meeting the need through her. Because she responds here with fear. She knows that this is a, a, a risk-taking position. She's going to have to take some risk now in doing this. She's not going to be able to play it safe in the palace. And, and I love this because faith does require risk. Faith requires risk of, of the unknown. Of not knowing what's going to happen because faith without any type of risk, can you really call it faith? You know what's going to happen. That's not really faith. Sometimes people say, well, I'm going to take a step of faith, but you already know the outcome. That's not really faith. Faith is you fully trusting God and saying, you know what? I'm going to step out not knowing what's going to take place. I'm fully trusting God. In verse 10 and 11 says this, Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave a command for Mordecai. Verse 11, And all the king's servants and the people know, the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called or invited, he has but one law to put all to death except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. You see how, how much was this queen wanted in the king's presence? He says, for 30 days he hasn't even called me. If I go to the king's presence right now, everybody knows that I'm going to be killed unless he extends that golden scepter of his. That means that I'm welcomed in. That means that I'm invited in. And she knew exactly what the cost was. She said, I'm going to be killed. I haven't been called for 30 days. And she, she starts to respond in fear. So how do you expect me to fulfill this need? Does that sound familiar sometimes? When God taps you on the shoulder, He taps you in the heart. And He says, you know what? I've called you to this right now. I want you to obey, say something. And you start to become scared. Lord, I don't want to say anything right now. I'm not qualified to say anything. Lord, what if, what if they, they ask me something that I don't know how to respond? What if I don't have all the answers to the questions that they have? Right? And, and, and there's fear that instantly paralyzes you from stepping out in faith. You see, fear is the greatest enemy to your faith. But faith is the biggest tool in which where God will use you. You either will go ahead and feed that fear, or you're going to trust God and feed that faith. And this is all about Christ receiving the glory. Understand this. Because God is stretching Esther just like He wants to stretch me and you. He's stretching Esther, right? And look what it says in verse 13. And Mordecai told them, here to answer Esther. Now Mordecai comes with a very spiritual answer. We, we, we have to love this about Mordecai here. Because he's a man that's not trusting in the faithfulness of Esther. He's a man that's trusting in the faithfulness of God. <laughs> How many times have you trusted in the faithfulness of a person and then you were let down? Well, that person told me it was promising. They had set it up all for me. And then nothing happened. Because we're trusting in the faithfulness of people, rather trusting in the faithfulness of God's 
promises. And we're more concerned, we're more now, now filled with joy, more and more excited about when, when a man knows our name instead of when God already said, I know you by name. But look what God calls Esther for. Because Mordecai told her and exhorted her, do not think in your heart, please do not be led by your emotions. Do not be led by your emotions. Why? Because fear fills your emotions so that you don't do nothing. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. He said, you know what? There's going to come a time where they're going to come after the Jews. And even though there's deliverance, some might die. And just because you live in the king's palace doesn't mean you're safe. I think sometimes we think that because we're comfortable, we're safe. Your, your, your area of being comfortable, you being in the state of comfort is probably one of the most riskiest things you'll ever do because in that place you'll never grow you'll never grow where you're comfortable and she says do not be deceived in your heart to thinking that you're going to escape just because you live in a place that's comfortable in the palace you know what happens when when you start to become comfortable you limit your growth of where god wants to take you i think it's sad that sometimes we as christians never get to step out because we're comfortable and because we think that it's safe in this palace that we've created. Because we have everything we've ever needed. But look what he reminds you. Do not think that you're in your heart that you will escape that trouble in the king's palace. Some might die even though there's deliverance. And you wouldn't be exempt from it. Now verse 14 it says, If you remain completely silent at this time, Relief, verse 14, and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. There's a power line. There's a punch line there. Now what does he tell her in verse 14? He says, for if you remain completely silent. Now do you know what fear wants to do to you? It wants to... God, the enemy uses fear in your life to keep you completely silent. You see, that's the tool that the enemy uses. He uses fear. He uses discouragement. Because the, the, the enemy wants to keep you completely silent. But that's not what God has called you for. God hasn't called you to see the opportunity of you being able to be used in a culture and in a time where people need salt and light for you to just sit back and do and say nothing. Look what he, and in verse 14 it says, If you remain complete, Simon, at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And I think it's important to, to know this. Because deliverance will come. God will now make sure that His plan does take place. And as he, He's really demonstrating the, the trust that He has in the Lord, He knows that God's not going to let His people down, even though people will let His people down. And you know what he says this? And when he's, when he's talking about this, what, what, what Mordecai is saying, he said he understood that, that God had brought this orphan young girl to be raised and to put in the palace now, to become queen. This, this woman now that was exiled, that had no parents now, but was being raised by her cousin here, that, that she had a calling on her life. That's why God brought her there. And she needed the courage and the wisdom to see that reason on why God had brought her here and to fulfill that promise. So do you understand the calling that God has in your life? And then when you understand it, do you pursue that or are you pursuing anything else? It's so easy to get distracted. 
When you know God's called you to something, but you start to get distracted by comfort, by safety. And, and I love what it says in verse 14, because he's telling this, God will either use your life, and God will either do it with you, or God will do it without you. I mean, this is encouraging though. Because he's saying God brought you for this, and he will either do it with you, or he will do it without you. God will accomplish His purpose even when the servants refuse to obey His will. Do you know that God is still going to accomplish His purpose? And that principle applies to me and that principle applies to you also. That God is going to promote you and put you in a place for a specific reason. We need to have the courage and the wisdom to see that reason and then to walk in that reason. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, you have been wishing for another position where you can do something for Jesus. How many times has that been us? Wishing that God gives us that position so we could do something for Jesus. You know what he says? It's so convicting. He says, do not wish anything of the kind, but serve him where you are today. How many times have you told God, Lord, if you move me there, then you're going to Lord, I can't wait. I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to do all these things, Lord. But where you are today, you can't even say the name of Jesus. It's like we want to see, so sometimes the Lord uses us in a different country, but we can't tell God, we can't tell our neighbor that Jesus loves them. You see, this is so important here because she was understanding here. She was understanding what God had called her for. And it's interesting because he's now depositing and, and, and putting in her life courage. He's investing in her. And I think it's important to rem be remembered of this because you don't want to live your entire life Looking back and saying, what, what if I would have stepped out and God could have used me? Asking yourself that question, what would have happened if I would have stepped out and God wanted to use me, but I was too scared to step out? I was too scared. Verse, 15, it says, verse 14, as we continue, he says, Yeah, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows that God, why God brought you here at this specific month, at this specific place, at this specific position for such a time as this? God didn't bring you for this community, to this church, to this career, at this culture, at this time, for no reason. He brought you because He wanted to use you so that He can get the glory. You think it's amazing when you start to see that God is just moving all the pieces behind the scenes. And He so chose to put you here because He wanted to use you. And that's what He's reminding you. God didn't put you here just so that you can be queen and have that title, have that position. God didn't put you there for position. God puts you there for a purpose. And if you're too in love with position that you never get to see that purpose of God's plan, then how will you ever live in His will? Because you're more concerned about the position that you have than about the purpose that God has for your life. It's not about the position, it's about the purpose. And He's reminding her that. Now in verse 15, look, it says, Then Esther told them, to reply to Mordecai. Look at what Esther does after she's encouraged. That's why I think encouragement is so important. Because sometimes we're scared. And we won't do it because of fear. But then someone all of a sudden encourages you. And then you're ready to go. <laughs> encouragement is so important. And I think we should never be scared of encouraging someone. Because we think that they're going to become prideful. <laughs> so encourage them. Because think about if, if Mordecai had not encouraged Esther, Esther would have not stepped out to do what God had, was calling her to do. Now it says that he encouraged Esther, and it says here in verse 16, And Esther replies to Mordecai, Go now, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, 
Go and gather now. She's, I, mean, I, I love how strategic this woman is here. That she doesn't say, all right, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Can you give me instructions? No, she takes charge. And he says, I'm stepping in the cap. And he tells Mordecai, I'm going to tell you what to do. I want you to go and I want you to gather people. And I want you to fast here for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. What is she asking them to do? She, she's asking them to lift her up in prayer. Fast for me. Do you have people in your life that are willing to fast for you? They're willing to say, I know God's called you to something. But I'm willing to fast for you. Fast for me. And look what she says. Look at the order that she uses. It says, fast for neither eat nor drink for three days or night. My maids and I will fast likewise. You fast and we will fast right here as well. She's willing to include herself in this fast. And it says, and so I will go to the king which is against here the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now she says, fast, I will fast, we will wait, and then I'll go. Think about that order. You fast, I'll fast, we'll wait three days, and then I'll go. I think that sometimes we have it so mixed up. And we try to go, we try to make people go with us. We try to cast some type of vision. But there's really no fasting involved. No, she says, fast. I'll fast. We're going to wait in that order, and then we will go. You know what she's doing here? You know what you do when you fast? You're ready to hear God's voice. And you're eliminating any type of distraction that will come to satisfy the flesh so that you can surrender to God's will for your life. That's what fasting is. It's saying, Lord, I want to hear your voice so I can surrender to your will for my life. And then I will go and see the king. Isn't this amazing in verse 16? Go, and then in the, very first, in the same verse, it says, And so I will go to the king. She's preparing herself to be in the presence of the king with fasting. Wow, what a picture. What a picture. That you prepare yourself, even you yourself, to go to the presence of the king with fasting and with prayer. Sometimes we're so worried about people who are going to think about us when it's come to stepping out. But you don't answer to them. You answer to God. And when you understand that you answer to God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to seek to be obedient before anything else. And, and she says even this in verse 16, knowing the cost of obedience, because sometimes obedience will cost you. And if I perish or if I die, then I'll die. <laughs> Now she said, all right, Mordecai, you told me that to go and, and, and for such a time as this that I'm called, or I'm in this position because there's a greater purpose in mind that God has. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. She's devoted to seek God. And she says, if I die, then I will die. But first fast and let's pray. You see, it's interesting to know this because this, this, this fasting that's taking place in the Word of God, we always see it tied to prayer. Because fasting is a preparation that is concentrated in humble prayer. When you're fasting, is because you really want to go into a deep place in prayer. You want to go into a very deep place in prayer with God. You want to really hear His voice like you never heard it. Go into fasting. And then that's when you can go into a deep place of prayer. Where you have eliminated every type of carnal distraction so that you can hear the voice of God. We need to fast. We need to fast for these critical situations. You think about what Isaiah 58 verse 6 tells us. 
Right? When talking about the fast that the nation of Israel needed to do, he says this, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bounds or bonds of wickedness and to undo having burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to, that you break every yoke? You want to see yokes be broken? Or the burdens be set free from people? Then what does it take? It takes that we may start to fast. And, and this is amazing here. Because you saw that the work that he was about to do, this, this step of faith was supported by fasting. Jesus reminded us, even in the Bible, that, that special spiritual battles require fasting. Remember when the disciples were trying to now rebuke that demon out of that child and, and the parent went up to him and the father said, you know, I took him to the disciples, but they couldn't do it. And what did Jesus say? You know what? This one, you cannot do it except through prayer and through fasting. There are certain things that God has called you in life to do and to rise to the occasion that you will not be able to complete without prayer and without fasting. And that's exactly why she resorts to this, by prayer and by fasting. But then she says this after, if I die, I will die. Why does she say that? Because she's willing to pay the cost for obedience. She's willing to pay that price for obedience. If I die, then I'm going to die. You see, what did Acts chapter 20, verse 24 tell us? Paul says the same thing in Acts 20 to 24 as he says this, when undergoing this, this severe persecution as he's being obedient to God's will in his life, he says, but none of these things move me. None of the things that are going to come against move me. I'm not moved by circumstances. I'm not moved by a situation, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He wanted to finish with joy. None of these things move me. If I die, then I die. Because she understood at that moment, Esther understood that if God is for me, then who can be against me? Do you know that in God's will, He is for you? The problem with what we're doing today sometimes is that you want things outside of God's will and that's when He's not for you. When you're outside of God's will, He's not for you. And when you start to desire things outside of God's will, it's, He's not for you. But inside of God's will, there's so much favor because He's for you. And if He's for you, then what does it matter who's against you? I pray that we can get to a place where if it's not part of God's will, then, then we don't want it. If it's not part of His will, it's not part of His plan, it's not part of His providence, then, then, then we do not want it. Because all we want is to be in the center of God's will. I, when I read this, this chapter, chapter 4, it, it just really reminded me of three important questions that I wanted to ask myself and I want to ask you now too. Three important questions that really, when you think about for such a time as this, and I'm willing to pay the cost of obedience, no matter what the price is. Number one being this is, what are you doing with your time where God has you today? What are you doing with the time that God has you today? You know, sometimes we want God to give us time somewhere else, but what are you doing with the time where God has you today? What are you doing with that time where God has you today? What? The next one is when. When was the last time you took a step of faith? When was the last time that you took a step of faith that you said, I know God's called me to this. I'm going to take a step of faith for this. Right? And number three, why? Why do you, why do you want the things that you're working for? 
Because sometimes we're more concerned about what we want than why God has us here. Why do you want the things that you're working for? When was the last time you took a step of faith? And what are you doing with your time where God has you today? Because sometimes we're so looking into the time that maybe God hasn't put us there. Because He's preparing us right now for that next place. And that time where He has us today is not a waste. It's not a waste. God is never in a hurry. As we talked about last week, God is not in a hurry. But also remember this, God is also never late. God is not in a hurry, but He's also never late. And sometimes we think, Lord, I know you're not in a hurry, but now, no, He's not late. His time is perfect. And He works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Let's read verse chapter 5 very quickly as it goes. As she steps out in faith, what happens to Esther? Chapter 5. What's going to happen here? Now what happened on the third day that Esther put her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's household. The king sat in his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. Now she put on her royal clothes after three days of prayer and of fasting. Then she steps out. Understand this. She didn't do anything for those three days but fast. And other people were fasting for her. She didn't move with a clever plan. She fasted and then you see here that she stepped out in faith. Now I love this because you see the pattern that's going to take place. She fasted. You saw her step out in faith. And then you see God give her favor. I love how God does that in the Bible. Fast, faith, and favor. All in chapter 5. Chapter 4 you see her fast. Chapter 5 you see faith. In chapter 5, you also see favor. I think that's what God does. He waits for us to step out in faith, and then He gives us favor. That's amazing. Do you remember when the nation of Israel was about to cross that Jordan River, right? And they were going to go into the place of the land of Canaan, which was the promised land. What did God tell them to do before He can split the Jordan River? He didn't say, you know what? I want you to stand back. I'm going to split the Jordan River and then start walking right through it. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to step in to the Jordan River and then I'm going to split it and show you favor so that you can walk into that promised land. He said, I want you to put your heels into that water. Step in. In order for you to step out, you have to step in into that place of unknown. So here you see her stepping and she puts her royal robes and she steps in the inner court. You see that? She stood in the inner court into that place where she did not know if her life was guaranteed. I love this. What is this Fa fasting that is followed by faith, that is followed by favor? Fasting that is followed by faith, that is followed by favor. Fasting that is followed by faith, and that is followed by favor. It says here, of the king's palace across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. It says, when the king saw the queen Esther standing in the court, she found favor in his sight. This is amazing what God does for those that step out in faith, that are first seeking the Lord for guidance. She found favor in His sight. Have you ever found favor in the sight of an unbeliever? And you don't know why? <laughs> you just cannot explain why this person has, just, has so much favor on you. Why they, they, they've demonstrated favor upon your life. And then you have to realize it has to be God. Because there's no reason, there's no explanation as why there's so much favor here. <laughs> But it's the Lord. 
It's the Lord. And there's been in situations where I have no idea why. <laughs> and the Lord reminds me, it's because of me. I'm just behind this all. And I love it when there's no explanation to things because that's when you know it's God. When you can explain it, then it, it probably wasn't God. But when there's no explanation, you know, this is God behind it. There literally is no explanation. It's the Lord. The Lord is behind it. So it was the faith that was, the fasting that was followed by faith that was followed by favor. And it said that there was favor now and he welcomed her. It was his approval because of God's providence, right? And in verse 3, it says here, favor, verse 2, I'm sorry, in the sight. And the king held out Esther's, to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And Esther went near and touched the top of that scepter, saying, I, I, I am received, or I know that I am welcomed here into the king's now presence. And the king said to her, what do you wish? She knew that she came with a request. And Queen Esther, to Queen Esther, what is your request? It shall be given up to half of the kingdom. He says, what do you want, queen? The, the favor that he was saying, I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. Just ask with confidence, come on, what do you need, queen? And Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for the king. See, Esther, how, how simple she is, how sensitive she is, how she becomes spiritual through this whole situation. She didn't say, she doesn't blurt out, all right, I know that the king has asked me what I want. Let me tell him that I want this. And no, she says, you know what? If I have found favor in the sight of the let me make you, uh, let me serve you. I'm going to make a banquet for you. Let me serve you and bring Haman and you, king. I want to serve you both. I love that her first approach is the approach of serving people. Because that's the way God starts to use you and, and raise you up. God will raise someone up that has a willing hand to say, I'm going to start by serving. I'm not going to start by a request. I'm going to start by saying, I want to serve. And she starts to, and it says here, and the king said, bring Haman quickly, which was the man that she knew that had this plan to exterminate and kill the people. It says quickly that he might do as Esther had said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And at the banquet of the wine, the king said, Esther, what is your petition? All right, Esther, what is it that you really want? Ask me now. But in verse 6 it says, And it shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom it shall be done. The second time he asks her, What is it that you want? Well, why is it that you're serving me? Why did you come into my court, into my present? And Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this. And again, think about Esther. She's not in a rush. She's taking her time. She's becoming very sensitive. And, and look what she says this. If I found favor in the sight of the king and if it pleases the sight of the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I'll prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. I want to do a second banquet. Come tomorrow. Because she wants to get strategically the king and Haman in there together by themselves. Verse 9, so Haman went out that day joyful. Look at Haman with all this confidence, thinking that the king loves him, gives him preference. Here he's having dinner at this banquet with the queen and the queen and with the glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, now Mordecai here was outside the king's gate, that he did not stand or tremble, that he, Haman here again, was uncompromising. And what did he do now, uh, what uh, Haman, uh, Mordecai does? He's sitting there and he, he is not now bowing or showing respect to now Haman. He did not stand or tremble. He did not stand up for him 
or he did not fear him. Uh, think about who do you stand up for? Do you stand up for the world or do you stand up for God? Who makes you tremble? Does, does the world make you tremble or does God's word make you tremble? Mordecai said, that man does not make me tremble. I'm not going to stand for the world. He was standing for righteousness. And, and although Haman here was so now filled with pride because he thought he was exclusive, because he thought he was important here, this really ruined his day from thinking that he is of a high status now. And, and, and think about what he does, because in verse 10 it says, Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, and he went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman told them of his great riches, and of the multitude of the children, and everything which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. He, now he goes home after being so upset. And he invites people over and he starts to tell them everything that he has. He starts to brag again about everything that he has. And he says, moreover, Haman said, besides the queen Esther invited me, no one but me to come into the king to the banquet that she had prepared. Tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this is worth or avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. This means nothing to me. Because I see that man Mordecai, that Jewish man, that caused me to write this decree and take it to the king. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Let the gallows be made fifty cubits high in the morning, suggested the king, that Mordecai be hanged on it. Go raise these poles and let's make sure that Mordecai dies tomorrow morning. And go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. You think of how impulsive Haman became. See what happens when you promote the flesh? The flesh always starts to come and creep in and start to come against the plan and the will of God. Here this man was going to try to the next day start to build these now gallows or big poles in where they would hang these people. But what is it that you learn in, throughout this entire book? That God now is controlling and is in behind all the scenes. And this is one of the things that's so amazing that when you know God is in control, you don't have to live in fear. When you know God's in control, and when you're in the Word of God, you don't have to live in fear. You can live in faith. You can step out in faith. You don't have to wonder, what if? You can say, Lord, I know you've called me to this. I can step out in faith, and I can trust you, because I'm not living in fear. There's too many Christians today living in fear of what if. And God hasn't called you to that. He's given you a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You know what the, the, the difference of that is? That the greatest enemy of love is fear. And that's exactly why some people are never able to understand who Jesus is because of fear. That's from the enemy. Fear is not from God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we pray, God, right now by the power of your Spirit, God, that you would do something amazing, Lord, in our lives, God. Lord, we pray, God, that you would lead us, God, to a place and to a time, Lord, where we no longer are living in fear, God, but we're living by faith. We're willing to step out and see what you would do, God. And I pray, Lord, today for all of us that are here, maybe we had to be reminded that God has called us for such a time as this.